Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to get started in our uh, lesson this morning. Father, we praise You, love You, thank You so much for this, another opportunity to come together with brothers and sisters in Christ and open up Your Word and to learn uh, more about it. And uh, Father, we desire to not just have knowledge of what the Bible says, but knowledge of You. Uh, open our understanding, open our eyes of faith that we might see You that we might come to receive and to apply the truths and principles that You give to us through the Bible. Father, we thank You for that gift. And Lord, we thank You for the gift of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Your salvation through Him. And Father, we thank You that we can have a relationship with You. Father, that just uh, just actually blows my mind that You even want a relationship with someone like me. But Father, I'm so thankful that You do. I pray for Your forgiveness. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be present with us this morning to teach us and guide us into your, the truth of Your Word. Enable us to accurately handle Your Word. And Father, I just pray that You'll just give us ears to hear what You have to say today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we are continuing in our study of the harmony of the Gospels. And if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to continue... Uh, with the thought and in our pursuit of the truth of the incarnation of Christ Jesus. Uh, this will be, I think, the final lesson of the incarnation of Jesus. And the incarnation, once again, let me just briefly tell you what that means. That's whenever divinity put on humanity. That's when Jesus came and took upon the form of mankind. God in the flesh, uh, Emmanuel, as we looked at last week, uh, God with us. And that's the incarnation. That's whenever God came down to man to become a man for our redemption. And that's what we're referring to when we say incarnation of Jesus. Uh, his birth, uh, His physical birth here on earth. We looked last week at the first uh, uh, six verses, I think it is, uh, of Luke chapter 2 concerning the actual birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and the events that took place to, and transpired to get them to from Nazareth to uh, Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary. We looked at the genealogy some a little bit briefly. Uh, we looked at uh, what transpired and why and how it all came together. Today, we're going to... Uh, finish that story is what we refer to as the Christmas story. How many of you on, in, on Christmas ever read Luke chapter 2 and about the first uh, 20 verses or so about Mary's birth and the shepherds and all that kind of That's a tradition just about it. You know, that is the what is known as the Christmas story. And so we're going to complete the Christmas story this morning. I know it's... Uh, what month is this? April. Uh, no, it's April. But it can be Christmas anytime for the child of God because we celebrate our Savior 24-7 or should. It does feel like December this morning. So uh, with that being said, uh, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, begin verse uh, 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy 
which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept them, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. So we find the same night that uh, Jesus uh, appeared on earth through as the form of a babe born of the Virgin Mary there in the stable behind the inn. Uh, we find that same evening that there were shepherds out in the field keeping their flock. Now, uh, uh, the fields outside of Jerusalem, in between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, there was about five miles or so between the two little towns. But in between that, the shepherds were keeping their flock. They were watching them. They were seeing after them, protecting them, and, and uh, taking care of them. Now, these shepherds were not your typical shepherds. Uh, historians and theologians have concluded that these shepherds were known as temple shepherds. They had a uh, very specific flock of sheep that they were taking care of and raising and guarding because all these animals were to be used in the temple worship for sacrifices. If you recall, as we studied uh, uh, the book of Genesis here not long ago, in that we brought out the fact that the the lambs, the animal sacrifices, the animals had to meet specific requirements before they were acceptable as sacrifices to the Lord. So these shepherds were uh, are, were uh, given the task and awarded the uh, the privilege of watching over these special animals that were going to be used in the temple sacrifices and the offerings of the people. Now. Again, let me just uh, uh, clarify some things about why they needed a flock of, of, of sheep, a flock of, of, of animals to watch over for the animal sacrifices. Because as people would come into the temple and bring their animal sacrifices, the priest had to inspect all the animals. Make sure that there was no blemish, no spot, no imperfections, no broken legs, no torn hides, no mange, no impurities whatsoever because they could, the animal could not be acceptable sacrifice if they had any kind of uh, infallible uh, parts on their body. So as, a, as things progressed and humanity took hold, 
Uh, and this is one of the things that we're going to see as we continue to study the harmony of the gospel. It's one of the reasons that the Lord Jesus cleansed the temple, ran the money changers and stuff out of the temple. These people that were in, these men that were in charge of inspecting the animals for sacrifice would invariably, if you brought an animal, they would invariably find some kind of imperfection with that animal. So they could sell you one of their animals that was already pre-approved and make a profit, financial profit off of that. Now what they would do with yours, they would set it off apart from the other flock until you're out of the way and then put it integrated back into their flock and resell it. Basically is what they would do. So that's one of the things that, that infuriated or got the anger of the Lord Jesus riled up whenever He entered the, the temple and He saw the money changers and those that sold the doves and the pigeons and the animals. That's what all that was about. And we'll get more into that as we approach that, that time frame. But these temple shepherds were in charge of the flock. And they were watching uh, their animals at night. Now what is interesting, as prestigious of a position as they apparently had in our minds watching the these sacrificial animals, they were not allowed to go into the temple to worship because they were considered unclean because of their uh, transactions, their interactions with Gentiles and, and coming across dead animals and such as that along the way. They were, they were considered unclean, could not go into the temple. Now, isn't that strange? Temple shepherds couldn't go into the temple to worship. Yes, ma'am. Even though they were Jewish. They were coming in contact with Gentiles. That would make you unclean if you were a devout Orthodox Jew. And any other thing, you know. Yes, sir. No, 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 no. No, they did not mean that they were hell bound. They just could not go into the temple because there had to be a certain amount of ceremonial cleansing before you could uh, rightfully enter into the temple. Well, how'd they get their sins forgiven? How they, if they were not allowed to go in the temple to take their, their animal from the atonement of sin, how? That's a good question, Miss Landry. I put you in charge of finding that answer <laughs> and giving us a report of that. <laughs> I mean, well, it wasn't necessary to actually go into the ceremonial uncleanness was not the same thing as sin. Ceremony. Yes. In other words, uh, say that first part again. Right. Ceremonial uncleanness was not the same thing as sin. Right. Right, but if you had to go get your sins forgiven for the atonement of taking your animal in. All right. Then what you did, you had to go through and do the ceremonial cleansing. Okay. And then you could come in. The same with them. Right. So, was that scriptural? That in, in, <laughs> well, they couldn't all do it at the same time. Yeah, they couldn't all do it at the same time. They could go in like uh, shift work. You know, okay, well, there's five of us that are watching the flock. One of us needs to go to the temple and worship. And so that one goes, the other four stays behind and watches the flock. Takes turn. But they couldn't go in until they went through that ceremony ceremonial cleansing, cleansing themselves. Right, right. Well, to to also, yeah. under certain circumstances, under the Jewish law, the firstborn son could represent the father. Correct. 
That's correct. Firstborn. If they had firstborn son that was not affiliated with their occupation, they could by proxy, somewhat like that. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I've been reading in the Old Testament, and I was just, you know, when they were in the desert and all, and uh, talking about if you had a, a skin disease or if you had this or if you had that, you were to stay outside the camp for so long until you because you weren't clean. You were was that because God's way of so that that wouldn't spread? Or is I mean, I I thought well, they weren't unclean just because they had a. I think it was at least twofold. Twofold. Number one, it could have been for sanitary issues, right. health issues, for it not to be contagious and right. stuff like that. But I think the primary I think the primary reason for all the the laws in the Old Testament and everything is that God was setting apart the nation of Israel to be representative of the people of God and how he desired them to be holy, pure, righteous, uh, undefiled. And they, he, he put a standard on them basically to give us uh, an understanding of what it meant to come into a relationship with Him. And uh, though it was not, they could not reach perfection because and thus the, the reason of the law, the, old, the, the Ten Commandments, uh, it made us, made them come to realize, and makes us come to realize if we read it and study it, that we cannot meet the high holy standard of God. Therefore, we need to call, cast ourselves upon the mercy and grace of God and His redemptive plan through Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill the law and not destroy the law, and He fulfilled the law for us, that we through Him might have a relationship with with God. So the 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 requirements of them being ostracized out of the camp and set apart was to make people aware of the the high standard, the righteous standard, the holy standard, the clean standard that God wanted. I think. Yes, sir. I think most people had a difficult time just remembering the law because there was six hundred and thirty of them. Well, that six hundred and thirty one came a little bit later as the Jews continued to build the religious leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The the ten were enough. More next week than yeah. Well, the the ten commandments was more than enough to to get it all all of us condemned. But uh, you know the six hundred thirty one really uh, messed everybody up. You know. So, yes, sir. But to answer, I think to answer her question is if you came down with something with leprosy or some disease, the, the man put that on the person that they have done something wrong. That's why they have that disease. And they wanted them to stay stay. Yeah, out. they did is look that, at is that they did look like they did look at physical illness as a punishment for some sin in your life. life. Yes. In fact, leprosy uh, is um, throughout scripture became synonymous for sin you know the corruption right. of sin in, in an individual's life and yes ma'am yes ma'am oh yeah any imperfection any illness uh, in fact in John chapter 9 there's a young man born blind and he was at Jesus was asked the question who sinned this guy or his parents so they automatically 
made the connection and the assumption that that illness or or imperfection physical uh, physically was uh, connected with some kind of sin by someone, usually the individual that was afflicted. So, is that is all that clear as mud? All right. Let's go back to the temple shepherds. Temple shepherds. See, I haven't, I haven't forgotten where I was at. I, see, whenever I was raised, I was raised uh, to hunt, and one of the things that we hunted was rabbits. And uh, we had a beagle. We had a couple of beagles that were good rabbit dogs. And what I learned, and what my dad taught me, was that if you go to where basically the the dogs jump the rabbit and begin to run the rabbit. The rabbit will circle around and come right back to where you're at and you can get the rabbit. So I know that eventually I'm going to circle around and we're going to come right back to where I need to be. So you didn't think I knew anything about rabbits. It ain't just rabbits. I know it. All right. That's the biggest rabbit chase I've ever... You can't abuse me. I know. You wasn't even involved in this one, were you? All right. Okay. So let's go back to the temple shepherds. Temple shepherds, they uh, they they were uh, given the privilege of raising and keeping the the, the animal sacrifices, uh, animals for the sacrifices in the temple. They weren't allowed to go into the temple to worship, and uh, which is just ironic. But he, uh, let me let me share with you uh, uh, something, uh, an, an observation that David Jeremiah made concerning the temple shepherds. He said, God chose the least of all the cities, Bethlehem, to host the birth of His Son. He chose the least of society, shepherds, as the first witnesses. Shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean because they invariably had to engage in financial transactions with Gentiles. Therefore, they were not allowed to worship in the temple Neither were they allowed to testify in court because they were considered unreliable witnesses. Now, that's, a, that's a, also a key bit of information you need to store away in the back of your mind because of the remainder of this story, this narrative here about the shepherds is uh, very interesting. Number one, they were considered ceremonially unclean, could not go into the temple to worship. Secondly, they were considered... Um, unreliable witnesses. You know, and ironically, uh, the women were considered unreliable witnesses as well. Now, now the Lord Jesus elevated the, the position of women big time. Because guess who was the first one to see he, the, Jesus when He was raised from the dead? And she was a woman. How about that? Look with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 1. Keep your Bibles, keep your finger in Luke, because we're going to go back there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think we need to, to see some truths here concerning the relationship of the shepherds and the women uh, and how it could actually come to apply to us as well today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
And beginning with verse 27. And the Bible says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. Now, I like those verses. Gives me hope that God can use us, use me. Because it doesn't mean that you have to have a certain position. You don't have to have achieved some kind of uh, great uh, uh, recognition. recognition. Thank you. That was a good word. Thank you. I needed that one. And so, uh, in order to be used by God, He uses the ordinary things that makes them to do extraordinary accomplishments for God. He used the shepherds and He used women. Things, people that the world would never have chosen to be used to uh, propagate the gospel of God and, and, the, and the truths of God. And He used unlearned and ignorant fishermen according to King James translation. Unlearned and ignorant fishermen to... Uh, turn the world upside down for Christ. People that the world would say, no, they don't rank uh, appropriately to be able to be used in the service for Almighty God. But yet, God chose them. Those that, uh, that have accomplished great things and uh, achieved great recognition and merits and accolades have to be very careful that pride does not get in the way and they begin to take the credit for themselves because as verse 29 tells us that the purpose is that no flesh, no human should glory in the presence of God. God will share His glory with no man. So we find that the shepherds were uh, awarded the privilege and opportunity to receive the first gospel message about Jesus the Redeemer coming to the earth from the angels that night of His birth. And they were given that, that awesome privilege of being able to spread that message. Those at the city says, no, they're not worthy. But we see that God says, oh yeah, let me show you what I can do with those who just make themselves available. And they uh, was able to uh, experience some tremendous, tremendous uh, blessings from God. So, the timing of the announcement was at night. The very night of Jesus' birth. says that, uh, back in Luke, he says that... Uh, uh, the shepherds were out in the fields keeping over, watch over their flock by night and behold an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were greatly afraid now does not that sound familiar a little bit familiar uh, since we've been looking at 
the incarnation of Jesus. There's other. There's two other places that a lot of similarities were expressed. The Mary. announcement to Mary and the vision of Je- uh, to Joseph. Both were visited by angels, and both saw the the glory of the Lord, if you would, and both along with the shepherds, felt fear, experienced fear among the, uh, uh, among the first uh, revelation of the, of, the, of the angels. And they were all three given the same exhortation, do not be afraid. So we find that God honored these people and the shepherds with a visitation from heaven and they were able to see the glory of the Lord. The Bible says that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. That's the Shekinah glory of God. That's the same glory cloud, if you would, that was seen in the wilderness 40 years, uh, day and night, there with the children of Israel as they journeyed in the wilderness. There was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and whenever they erected the the tabernacle in the wilderness among the, uh, upon the completion of it. The Bible says that the glory cloud, the cloud of God, came down and filled the tabernacle to the point that no one was able to enter into the tabernacle because of the glory of the Lord. That's the same glory of the Lord that, that reflected off of Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai. That's the same glory cloud that they saw on Mount Sinai. That's the same glory cloud that they saw whenever Solomon built and dedicated the temple, the first temple, uh, permanent temple, uh, there in Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord came upon the temple, and the Bible says that they could not enter there either. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. That in itself, not, you know, take away just the presence of the angel, but the glory of the Lord is something to uh, behold. That's the same Shekinah glory, if you would, that was seen by Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration whenever they were there with Jesus and Jesus was praying and the Bible says His countenance was changed to where He outshone the sun and there began to converse with Moses and Elijah. So the glory of the Lord was just spectacular to be seen. And these shepherds who were considered unclean by society experience the very glory of the Lord. I think that is just uh, exciting, amazing to me that do the glory think, would allow that. Pardon me. Yes, ma'am. Do you think that happens today? You hear all kind of ridiculous stories sometimes about God told me this and God told me that and it sounds ridiculous. But do you think they're actually... Well, Billy Graham, for instance, did he... Was he that holy and righteous to see and hear from God? To hear Him tell it, He was a sinner just like you and I. Yeah. But we put Him up on a pedestal. Yeah. But yes, I think He hears from God. Don't you hear from God, Miss Donna? Oh! 
Big time. Big there you time. go. Here's the thing. Here's the difference between then and today. Then, in the days of the shepherds, this narrative, there were no New Testament written out, no full Bible. There were some Old Testament writings. The books of the Old Testament were written. They studied prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And that's how they heard from God that way. But we find that still, God spoke and He gave visitations to others by from angels and such. We see throughout the New Testament things like that taking place. Now that the Word of God is completed, Old and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, Revelation being the final book of the book, showing the end. God speaks to us through His Word. I saw on a church sign here not long ago something to this effect. Don't say that God is silent if your Bible has been closed. Yes, sir. We're told also that uh, watch how we treat people because we entertain the angels on the way. Sure, sure. You know, and and I don't discount the fact that angels do appear. I married one, so I see her every day. <laughs> anyway, I wish. Make sure he gets his allowances. Yes, that was the ulterior motive. But now I do think that God impresses things upon you, sure. and uh, it might not be an angel that appears and you see and hear like a voice. But I think that that God impresses things upon your mind, and you might not really hear His voice, but. If you're attuned to him, you know that that it's him telling you. True. You need to take care about what you're doing, or, or you need to go in this direction and not that direction. And um, I agree. I, I think he does that for. I mean, he's our heavenly father. That's what a good heavenly father does. He tries to lead directly well, where you should go. <laughs> I didn't think about it, but at the time, but I look back on it. I was traveling from Minot, North Dakota to California, and I was driving through Colorado. It was sunshiny down the road. It was snowing. My car went sideways down the road. It was a good thing my car wasn't coming in the other direction. A mountain was on one side, a 200-foot drop on the other. There's no doubt the angels stopped my car for me to hit the mountain or going over the cliff. And I didn't think about the, the time. Thing, well, but when you thought about yeah. it, it's thank you, Father, and for protecting. Yeah. Sometimes it's an afterthought. We think, you know. Well, I, I was led to do so and so or whatever because I think the, our father was looking after us. I well, here is one word of caution I give you, though. Okay, God will never impress upon you or speak to you or lead you into something that is contrary to His written word. That's why it's important for you to know what this says. That's why it's important for you to hide the word of God in your heart. So. We, uh, you may not sin against him, that it might be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Because uh, I heard. Um, Don't hide it as well, you can't find it. 
Sir? Well, you can't Well, here's here's this is uh, I think I heard David Jeremiah use this uh, analogy concerning the importance of an intake of God's word. Okay, uh, it's like uh, storing up information on your computer hard drive. You put in programs on your computer hard drive and then whenever you go to work things, all of that begins to accomplish whatever mission that you're trying to accomplish on your computer. If it was no program was downloaded on your computer, it wouldn't do anything. You follow? We take in the Word of God. It's like downloading very important information on our hard drive, spiritual hard drive. And when we are faced with issues or decisions or problems or whatever, then the Holy Spirit is able to, who lives within us, every born again believer, is able to take that information and begin to produce in you the thoughts and the direction and the impressions on what to do, what not to do. So if there's nothing on your spiritual hard drive, the Holy Spirit can't find anything to bring to help you in your time of need. That's why it's important for us to get into the Word of God. And the Word of God get into us to memorize it, to hide it in our heart, to learn what it says accurately, handling the Word of truth, so we don't take it out of context. We walk in the truth of it, and the Holy Spirit's able to produce in us that right decision that right action that will glorify and honor God. So that's, uh, you know, there again, there's another rabbit. We're fit, he's coming around. I'm about to shoot that dude. So here's the, we're going back to the, uh, uh, the messenger, uh, the angel. And it says, an angel of the Lord uh, stood before them. Uh, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Uh, now the uh, we see the... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. The messenger is the angel. The message he gave began that of good tidings or the good news which it means the gospel means the good news so the angel of the lord is the one that is presenting first the gospel message to mankind to the shepherds who were considered unreliable witnesses by society and they were going to be used of god to communicate this message to others first and foremost i think that is amazing But he says the message. He says good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now, there's a a few controversial things about that message. The literal translations, uh, some of them have said, it should be instead of which will be to all people, should be reading goodwill toward, uh, or rather, among men with whom he is pleased. That's the way the literal translation should read. That instead of uh, goodwill toward men, um, or all people, says should be 
among men with whom he is pleased. So the peace is promised that is promised is not given universally. Not to all men universally. And we and we see this, you know. Uh, you know, I've even been asked the question in the past, you know, if the the, the Christmas message, the message is that uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. If if that was the message, if that was the purpose of Jesus' coming, why is there no peace? Well, uh, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it wasn't universally promised to all men per se, but to those men among whom God is pleased. So who is who pleases the Lord? Well, men who... Uh, possess goodwill toward God uh, or individually they are recipients of His favor and grace. Those who have had that relationship with God. Romans 5 verse 1 Therefore we are justified by faith through Christ. We have peace with God. Peace with God. The very first place that peace is uh, appropriated into our lives is that of a spiritual uh, reconciliation with God because the Bible teaches that we natural man are enemies to God to holy God therefore there is a war there is enmity there between us and holy God and that what is causing that is sin and so Jesus came to deal with that sin and he Produced the peace with God through His death and resurrection so that we could be no longer enemies to God but now become the sons of God. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the children of God. We have peace with God. And that's where it first starts. You, before you, Unless you have peace with God, you'll never know the peace of God have to make that peace, that reconciliation, that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we find... Maybe it's worth noting right here that you're not... Don't confuse this with salvation because salvation is for... He came for all people to be saved. But it's only those who... Who receive the salvation that receive the, the peace. peace. I'm no. confused with what you said. Okay. Alright. <laughs> Let me I see... understand that part. Okay. But... Back where you were saying where it's not universal. That not everyone has received the peace unless they have first received Jesus. No, back it up. Okay. Alright. Peace is promised is not given universally to men who possess goodwill toward God, but individually to men who were the recipients of His favor and grace. Those who have been saved. That's what that's referring to. That's not the way I read that. Okay. And it, it's really confusing to read, to read it that way because it, it sounds like salvation is not for all. Salvation <laughs> is for all. It's for all who receive it. Right. right. I understand. What, but but, it, but it, it's, it's real easy for that to be confusing. Yeah. That's why you have to relate Scripture to Scripture. You cannot take one verse out. Okay. Think that meant salvation, and we I guess. a denomination that teaches yes, that I it's guess. not for everybody. All right, Romans five and verse one. I quoted that. 
Romans 5 and verse 1. What the confusion is, is that interpretation of what that, uh, the way that you said the original or somebody. The literal translation. The literal. literal You said the literal. The literal translation. The literal translation. In the, in the Greek, the literal translation. Because the Lord created me. I, I, I go by the yes. King James and I ain't changing. <laughs> I agree, brother. I'm King James, New King James. I am the Word of God. So I am all about it. Can you link those, those scriptures again just so I can make sure I'm jotting down the ones you were... Romans what? Romans 5 and verse 1. Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so who has the peace with God? Justified with God. Who? The world has opportunities. I'm not saying that they don't. That's where you I'm not. Okay, alright. Let me state it very clearly. Just take that word literal out. Let me just take the whole last five minutes out. Listen, 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 really, I, this is important. It needs to be clarified. I agree. Everyone has the opportunity to be saved. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whosoever will shall call upon the name of the Lord and shall be saved. I believe that is a universal invitation. Everybody. But the only ones that receive the peace with God are those that receive or act upon that invitation and receive the gift of God in Jesus Christ. So, one sense of the word is universal. It is appropriated to everyone. One sense of the word is not universal. Is only the peace with God is to those who have obtained, appropriated the, the invitation, the gift, the, the salvation. Does that simplify it? Yes. Yep. All right. That rabbit's dead, dead, yeah. dead. We're gonna shoot that one with both barrels. Huh? No, no. I, I think no. That's good. I, I sure don't want you to go away confused or, or any unclear. Well, I want it to be. Robert, right, right. So I'm, I'm thankful for your questions and challenges. Yes. Sir. See if I can help clarify this. Are all children of God? No. no. Who are children of God? Those who believe and accept Those are the ones who have peace with God. Right. When Adam sinned, he rebelled. And all of his descendants were rebellious and were at war with God. Right. Through Christ, we're reconciled with God. We've got a peace with Him. We only get that when we become a child of God. That's right, exactly. And let me just build on that just a minute. You know, I had someone ask me the question that they were asked, is everyone, same question, is everyone a child of God? I immediately answered no. They asked me to verify that, I mean to qualify that, explain that. 1 John 3 and verse 10, the Bible gives the description of two groups, the children of God, the children of the devil. That's one of a few places. So there's a distinctive difference 
between the children of God, the children of the devil, and it also refers to the children of the light, children of darkness. Okay? Not everyone is a child of God. Now, some people will challenge you on that, challenge me on that. Yes, everyone's a child of God. No, they're not. We're all creations of God. We're not all children of God. John 1 and verse 12, that was the other verse, Brother Troy. To them, but as many as received Him, Jesus, to them gave He the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe in His name. So, they are born again. Jesus described that as being born again to Nicodemus. That's part of that new birth. That's why it's so important for us to share the gospel of Jesus. So people can be saved and be born into the family of God and then be have eternity in heaven as their uh, award, uh, reward later on. So that's why it's imperative that we share Jesus Christ and His redemptive work with others because not everybody's a child of God. If the devil can convince you that everybody's a child of God, you'll say, well, I don't need to witness. But if you come to understand scripturally that there's two groups, two groups identified in scripture, the children of the devil, the children of God. The children of the devil are by nature. That's why we have to be born again. Children of God are through faith in Christ. By grace are you saved through faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ, His redemptive work on the cross. So we need to understand that. So the message is the peace with God. That's the peace that is being transmitted. That's the message that's being transmitted to the shepherds. That Jesus is coming to be the Redeemer. It says that for there is born unto you this day in the city of David what? A Savior. A Savior. That's why He came. A Savior. He didn't come to, to uh, eliminate poverty and, and be a financial uh, analysis in order to straighten out things uh, financially in our world. He didn't come as a doctor to heal all the diseases and infirmities that we have, though He was able to do both, He came primarily to be a Savior because mankind needed a Savior first and foremost in order to give us a relationship with God and the peace with God that He wanted to give. Jim? So draw the distinction. Christ confronts the man tormented by the demons and casts him into the herd of swine. They knew he was the Christ, so they acknowledged he was the Son of God, but they're obviously sons of Satan. What makes the difference between them and the sons of God? Because even Satan's demons acknowledge that he's the Son of God, but they don't accept him in the sense of that he's their Savior. Right. Is that the lone distinction? That is the primary distinction that whenever we repent of our sin, and we place our faith and trust in His Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for our salvation, that means we are totally casting ourselves and our eternity upon Him. Nothing that we can do, nothing that we've done, nothing that we can do, totally on what He's done. His blood as payment for our sin. And we can believe 
that uh, uh, Washington, D.C. exists. I think it exists. But if you've never been there, you don't know for sure. But I've been there. I've seen it. So not only did I know about it, now I've experienced it. And I've had a, uh, I know about Jesus and I've trusted Him as my Savior. I've had that personal experience with Christ. And He has come into my life. And uh, the Bible teaches that if you receive Him, and I call on His name for salvation. Call on Him as Lord. And that's, a, that's also a, a key word uh, here that you know, there's three identifying titles that the angel gives Jesus. Savior, first of all. Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And then Lord. And those demons do not have Christ as their Lord. That's right. They cannot they be saved. Yeah, they're not humans. Yeah. Well, and that's the distinction, too. I was going to say, they're not necessarily yeah. sons of Satan. Well, they belong to the devil, and he's got their them angels so deceived that they're not, they won't accept Christ. The reason angels cannot be saved is because the they were from heaven. And they visibly, physically experienced the glory and grandeur of heaven and God Himself. And they're totally turned their back and rejected God Himself and therefore they followed Lucifer and was cast into, uh, out of heaven and therefore there is nothing else that they can, no they can be done for their salvation. Sir? I think they're so deceived no by excuse. the devil by Satan that they... Yes, they were deceived, but they, they, they had already they seen and experienced heaven. Right. Nothing else for them to do. Yes, ma'am. Well, uh, I mean, if you're not saved, you're a son of the devil. But you're not locked into that. If you accept the Lord... There's always the opportunity. There's always an opportunity. As long as you're breathing... Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's why it's important for us to share the gospel so they'll have the opportunity to be saved. Miss Joyce? Exactly. Exactly. It's all about. Um, let's turn to John 3.16. Something I want you to see. Do you know 17 and 18? By no. That's where we're going. We're starting with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That was King James, by the way. But then, we see that verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Why did He send His Son into the world? What did, uh, what did the angel say? A Savior. A Savior. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Why? Verse 18. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He that believes in Jesus, and that word believes carries more implication to it than just believe that Jesus was a historical figure. That, that whole connotation is that of total, complete trust and dependence and uh, uh, um, association with His redemptive work on the cross of Calvary for your or my uh, sins. Believing in Him. Receiving Him. Faith in Him. Trusting Him. He who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but there's a big word there. But. And this is the reason why we need to share the Gospel. But he who does not believe is condemned 
When? Already. Already, Already under con- condemnation. The wrath of God abides on him, the Bible says in verse 36 of John 3. So that's already on them. That's why they need to be saved. Because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's why Jesus came. That He might be our Savior. So, the message. So, let's see uh, the response. Well, let me finish reading the message. There was uh, verse 11, Luke 2. For there was born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You shall find you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So we find that the angels gave the shepherds identifying traits in order to locate the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord that has come. Now, what was strange about this? I mean, a newborn babe. Babes are born all the time. Everywhere. Now they're in Bethlehem. They were told in Bethlehem. And they said that the angel said you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, that was a normal thing back then. They wrapped the baby. Uh, those of you that have had children, ladies, did you not wrap the, the newborn child in a blanket or something like that? Yes. That was normal. So what was the identifying trait that would help them recognize that the baby that they found was actually the baby that the angels were t- talking about? The what? The manger. The manger. Which is what? A feeding trough. A feeding trough. Not many mothers will put their newborn babe in a feeding trough. No, that was unreal. Now, number one, also, you know, it didn't say located at such and such address. Now, Bethlehem, they were full of people. Remember last week? Overrun with folks there because of the census that was uh, enacted. So, you know, the shepherds couldn't just go around... Hey, do you have a newborn babe in a feeding trough in here? <laughs> in their house. So they went where feeding troughs were normally located. And they found the young couple and the babe. And they went and they located. Now that's speculation, of course. You know, I'm I'm reading a lot into this, but I, I yes ma'am. I wondered about that. Didn't say anything about a star with the shepherds. I think the wise men. Right. I think the Lord just led them. You know, I think the Lord led them where they needed to go in order to verify the message of the angel, which was uh, tremendous. So we find that uh, it says that suddenly, after they gave the uh, the message that the angel delivered to the shepherds that suddenly there was a, a multitude of heavenly hosts. Other angels, the army of the Lord, was around him, appeared, singing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven 
that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord, which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, they received a visitation, divine visitation, a heavenly visitation, a glorious visitation. They received a powerful, life-changing message from the angels. There's only one thing left to do. Respond. Just like we do today with the Gospel. We share a message. We're not responsible to how people respond to that message. The response is up to the individual hearer. The shepherds had a decision to make. Do we, what do we do with this message? What do we do with this visitation? What do we do uh, about the information that we've been given? So we find that they responded. They said, look, let's go check this out. This is tremendous uh, news. You remember, they were all looking. The, the, the religious leaders had already been talking and, and coming with anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, but due to the time frame found in Daniel that we looked at last week. And, you know, so here's the message to kind of corroborate with the, the teachings of the time. Okay, the Messiah's coming. Here the angel said, the Messiah's here. Let's go check this out. Now they were looking for that militant king that would come riding on a great white stallion and take on uh, an army and, and would take on the Roman Empire and deliver them from captivity. Yet they were told to go seek for a babe. Someone that was non-threatening. A babe is just, you know, it almost automatically wins the hearts of anybody that sees a child. But we find that the shepherds responded and said, let's go look. Now, what is interesting is that the temple shepherds who kept the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. I thought that was just... I loved that whenever I came to that conclusion. Can you say that again? The temple shepherds who kept the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That's just a, a tremendous... Only God would think of doing something like that. You know, Of course, the wise men, we're going to look at them later, the wise men automatically thought that it, He would be found in the palace, in, the, in, in King's palace. But no, he wasn't found there. The temple shepherd saw him. So, look with me if you would, uh, just real quickly, Second Corinthians chapter four. I'm almost through, y'all. Second Corinthians chapter four. I know I'm running over. I'm not going to get to teach next Sunday, so. <laughs> He's making that far today. What do you say? He's not going to have to teach next Sunday. Oh, hey, you could go ahead and continue. So, it's, it's good. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. This is a verse that I take very personally myself, and I encourage you to, to memorize this. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, 
and I think the shepherds could identify with this we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us the message that the shepherds received was from God and the power was from God we are just vessels mere vessels the gospel is the life changing power Romans chapter 1 says that the God, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek we're not responsible for those that hear how they respond we're just responsible to deliver the message but it's the power of God that's the only thing that can change a life is the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ that's why it's so important folks I've stressed this time and time again if you know people if you have friends you have co-workers you have family members that are, are without Christ share the gospel well I've shared it before uh, years ago so share again. yes share it again give the gospel the gospel the gospel Jesus is the only one that can make a difference say so, well I don't know what to say you write this down or look it up Isaiah 51, verse 15, says, I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is His name. I have put my words in your mouth, and I have covered you with the shadow of my hand. God will put His words in your mouth if you just open your mouth. Speak. Isaiah 51, verses 15 and 16. So, to end Luke 2 in the shepherd narrative, the Bible says that they, they came, they saw Mary and Joseph and the child laying in the manger, the, the baby, and it says that they shared with them uh, what they had seen and heard. Mary kept all those things and pondered them in her heart. It was like, she, you know, she knew what was going on. She had the, the visitation from Gabriel about her child. She knew a special position that this child held. But all these, this information, these facts, all throughout the Gospels, you'll find a couple of more times that Mary pondered these things in her heart. All these pieces of the puzzle. You know, she didn't have all the, the facts and everything play-by-play play action laid out for her. She was just putting all these things together and seeing how they unfolded for the, for the redemption of, of mankind through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the shepherds, it says in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. The apostles in Acts said we cannot help but testify to what we have seen and heard you want to know how to witness for God you just tell what you know what you've experienced how has God changed your life how has Christ changed your life what has he done for you now recently how is he interacting in your life share those things which you know that you've heard which you've seen You've learned in the study of the Word of God. You've experienced firsthand in your own life. That's what God wants us to give testimony about. So let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray that You'll help us to receive it.
to understand it, to apply it. Thank you for the peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Bless the service that we're about to enter into. Bless the singing, the music. May it prepare our hearts to receive from you that which you have for us. I pray that you'll put your words in the mouth of our pastor as he speaks. And I pray that you'll just transform lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.